Hello and welcome to the Tucson Bitcoin Podcast. My name is Alex and today is my first solo episode. So I had a few topics I wanted to talk about. I've been doing a deep dive into a bit about the Tucson economy and I just find it kind of alarming, especially, you know, with our Treasury Secretary's recent comments talking about in the trying to avoid a debt default that that's even in the conversation right now it shouldn't be that surprising with how much money they're printing but yeah i wanted to talk a little bit about that i've got a couple clips from uh, guests on the podcast um that i'm going to play and you know a clip from janet yellen uh but yeah before we get into it i'm pretty excited max kaiser's coming to tucson uh august 19th up in phoenix or well, i said tucson up he's coming to phoenix august 19th uh, for the um, Fuck Elon tour And I'm pretty stoked about that I think it's going to be a lot of fun And uh, definitely if you're in Arizona You should buy tickets and, and make a pilgrimage I'm driving up from Tucson You know, I'm sure people will be driving from all over uh, It's going to be a good time There's going to be a lot of good Bitcoiners there A lot of good energy We're going to pump it up um, But yeah I love Max. You fail to understand no. that it's a new technology that is as profound as the printing press or the electric light bulb. You know, you, You're comparing it to things that you shouldn't be comparing it to. It yeah. makes no sense. He's talking nonsense. So yeah, we're pretty much going to be listening to Max scream for a while. Uh, we've got some good stuff going on with the Arizona Bitcoin Network. We've got Andrew Yang. Uh, from Casa coming up to Phoenix uh, to talk about multi-sig, and that's coming up at, I think, on the 30th, end of the month, and we have, uh, what else going on? We have the Block Size War uh, book club starting here pretty soon that I'm pretty excited about, and if you want to check that out, we'll be doing it on Zoom, and you can join if you go to the Arizona Bitcoin Network meetup page or shoot me a DM on, on Twitter if you're not on meetup uh, at Tucson underscore Bitcoin. But yeah, let's get into the episode. Yeah, so I got into Bitcoin uh, as a social work student and working in the field of social work. And I was really, really concerned about a lot of the issues in our communities surrounding wealth inequality, poverty, uh, substance abuse, things like that. And I just kind of stumbled across Bitcoin after going through a Dave Ramsey series, learning a bit about money and just being interested in investing because I realized if I was going to work in that field for the rest of my life, I'd be pretty poor. And uh, yeah, I don't know how specifically I found Bitcoin, probably on YouTube or something. Uh, But I went down the rabbit hole, was listening to what Bitcoin did uh, by with Peter McCormick and the Pomp podcast with Anthony Pompliano, and uh, somehow found Safety in a Moose in his book, The Bitcoin Standard. And one of the things it was talking about was just how money influences society. And that was a really, really interesting concept that I'd never thought of before, that uh, inflationary money uh, could influence people's behavior and uh, uh, discourage them from saving, you know, and going down the rabbit hole a little bit further, I would watch videos with like Ben Bernanke, who used to be the uh, uh, head of the Federal Reserve and now works for... um, someplace on Wall Street, I forgot where specifically, but he was, uh, his, one of his firms was heavily involved in the GameStop debacle and uh, kind of screwing that up. Uh, But 
you know, one of the things he talked about was like wanting to discourage people from putting money under their mattresses. And I thought that was kind of crazy, you know, that there's like an intentional effort uh, put forth to prevent people from saving. And what ultimately that does is it forces people into these, you know, risky investments like the stock market and a giant Ponzi scheme, essentially, that is relying on more and more money pouring into it and is also guaranteed to go up because the dollar which it is measured in is going down. And it was just kind of a backwards game. Um, But yeah, we've seen wealth um, stratification grow in Tucson. It's it's always been a a major issue. You know, when you're driving through the city, there's the really nice parts and, and the really poor parts. And I don't think a lot of people, you know, really put a ton of effort into understanding why that is. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, it, it's gotten a lot worse in, in recent months, um, in the last couple of years. Uh, you know, one thing that I found incredibly alarming was the increase of cost of living in regards to housing. So just kind of to put it into perspective, uh, the median house price in Tucson in July of 2016 was $177,000, you know, which at the time was a pretty reasonable price. Um, it was something that you could shoot for saving. I remember I wasn't making a lot of money, but I was, you know, kind of pricing out houses um, and, and looking at the market, looking to save in order to buy one with my limited income at the time. Um, well, today, in July of 2021, it is $300,000. And in five years, the the cost of the average price of a, co- of a house has doubled or almost doubled. And that's kind of crazy. Now, looking at it priced in Bitcoin tells a big or very different story. So in 2016, uh, the Bitcoin price of July, in July of 2016, the Bitcoin price was $684. July of 2021, the Bitcoin price was 32000 or is $32,000, or I guess today it's $34,000. And so in order to buy that $177,000 house in uh, 2016, you would have needed 258 Bitcoin. Now, in July of 2021, uh, you only need nine Bitcoin to buy that house, the same house, um, and that tells, you know, a really, really interesting story. Uh, but, yeah, I have a really good clip from Guy Swan talking about wealth inequality, you know, and what we're trying to combat with Bitcoin. Um, I'm going to play that real quick. Wealth inequality is something that I think is, it's kind of blanket assumed as a bad thing. I don't think, I don't think quote unquote inequality uh, as a thing is something that we really need to solve, quote unquote. Um, because what we want is to solve unfair inequality. We want to solve uh, corrupt inequality. But if, like, I like go back to the internet technician example, let's say I save 80% of. Uh, the value and services that I give as an internet technician for 60 years. And now I have $40 million worth of savings. Um, 
which I don't even know how, how much you would possibly make in 60 years doing that. But let's just say $40 million. Like, that's not a problem. You know, like, like that, the fact that I have more savings than other people, that I'm wealthier, is, is not a, that's not an inequality that we should be fixing. That's an inequality that we should support, that, that should be applauded. Like somebody has been unbelievably frugal and just put massive amounts of value into the economy and not taken it out. And that's what it means to produce a lot of value. And that's what it means to have a profit. It means that all things uh, equaled out at the end of the day, I put more into the economy that I took out. And based on the voluntary exchange of everybody I interacted with, they all agree. And that's a good thing. So if somebody is massively productive and somebody knows how to turn $10 into $100 by producing things and building fascinating new innovations and providing value for millions of people, it's important that they are the ones in charge of the money that we give them voluntarily. Like they should have the values that because they can, they can produce 10x what somebody else who would just, you know, buy buy an LCD screen and sit around in their like living room. So as long as it's fair, as long as it's voluntary, inequality is fine. Inequality is great. We want those who succeed to be more rewarded than those who destroy value. But in the sense of our current environment, we have really sinister inequality. We have inequality based on how close they are to a political machine. And we have inequality based on who has the, the banking license to just issue money at will and basically make, I mean, think about, think about what it means. Like, let's say I've got $0, right? And I get a banking license because I know somebody in politics and I got a good, I got a good powerful friend. Um, and now I just have the ability to issue money. Well, I issue a million dollar loan at 1% interest. Again, I don't have any money. I didn't produce anything for the economy. I, didn't, I haven't traded with anybody. I got nothing. But I can issue a million dollars and give it to you at a 1% loan. That seems like a great deal for you. 1% is dirt cheap. That means I get $10,000 a month from you. I have an asset. You have a liability. You owe me a million dollars for no reason at all. I just invented a million dollar asset for myself that's going to pay me $10,000 per month and I didn't do shit. That's evil. That is messed up. And that's what we need to solve. The people who are billionaires and have unbelievable amounts of money and have permanent positions in politics and are in the corporate like revolving door between regulator, politician, CEO, regulator, politician, like, like that whole system, that is a mechanism of corrupt inequality and it shouldn't exist. Those are just people who know how to fudge numbers and have a political authority to be wealthy rather than actually exchanging value with other people voluntarily and producing things for the economy. Yeah. He, he says it really good. I had a lot of fun with him, learned a lot from him uh, on that episode specifically. And Guy's got one of my favorite podcasts that I listen to pretty religiously. Uh, but yeah, that, that's what we're trying to solve here. You know, 
the these prices wouldn't be able to fluctuate and inflate at the same rate as they do consistently over time and then accelerating when they decide to print, you know, almost 40% of the money supply ever, you know, in circulation in a year and a half. Um, if they don't have that power to do it, that that's not possible. And that's why the idea of a fixed currency like Bitcoin is so uh, powerful and, and having the monetary policy uh, secured through uh you know, decentralization through, you know, over 10,000 nodes around the world uh, enforcing the protocol rules. And the only way to change it is to get a consensus from those nodes. And if somebody goes out and tries to change it, they get rejected uh, by all the nodes on the network. And these are people uh, like me or you uh, that are running it because they believe in it. And they think this thing has value uh, for its properties. Um, and that's incredibly different than, you know, the fiat monetary system that is controlled by a few people that get to um, drastically benefit from it. I mean, you look at these these people in positions of power. Now, recently, um, uh, Nancy Pelosi has been in the news for, you know, it, potentially insider trading with uh, her, her husband buying a bunch of Tesla shares before. Uh, getting a government contract like that's the level of corruption that we have going on um or that that's just even the tip of the iceberg of what's ultimately going on here it's a lot worse than that um because these people like i said they're they're being successful for not producing anything and we have to go out and we have to produce things of value uh to you know, bring money home, and then it's just siphoned away through taxation and inflation, which is another form of taxation, and the inflation is just ramping up, and who does this hurt at the end of the day? It hurts the most vulnerable in our society, and you you just see it. Why do all of these predatory financial services like um, payday loans uh, congregate around low-income areas? It's, It's because these people are hurting and they're desperate. And they're going to be hurting a lot worse uh, as a result of, you know, the recent money printing and government policies. That's just ultimately what's going to happen. And it's entirely, entirely broken. And Bitcoin <coughs> and Bitcoin offers us an escape from that. You know, I, I post the numbers out. Uh, like, I mean, imagine if you're saving for a house in fiat money and they're just going to print uh, trillions and trillions of dollars a year. And the housing is going to double house values are going to double, you know, in a five-year period. Like, we don't know if that's going to happen um, going forward in the next five years. But one thing that we do know is that the Bitcoin supply is not going to change. And the fiat money is just so bad at storing value right now with the way that they're, you know, just endlessly printing it, uh, that Bitcoin is probably going to increase in value because... Fiat money is so bad, not not just on the merits of Bitcoin alone, uh, but people are going to be forced into a better asset, you know, to try and, um, you know, retain some value. And you see this in developing countries like I I had Mike Peterson on uh, from Bitcoin Beach in El Salvador. And prior to Bitcoin um, in El Zante, El Salvador, people were buying like physical assets like bricks um, to store their value. Uh, because the currency won, it, you know, where they were living, it wasn't secure, but it also wasn't, you know, going to hold, retain its value in the same way. And they didn't have access to financial services 
in the same way. And and now B- Bitcoin is offering financial services to people all over the globe. And it's incredibly powerful and incredibly, incredibly exciting. But yeah, kind of diving into the Tucson economy, there's some things that, you know, concern me. So Janet Yellen was talking about a debt default. Uh, pretty much every state in the country except for a handful, I, I think, um, the only one that comes to mind is uh, Wyoming. But there's a very few that aren't running deficits. Um, and, you know, Arizona is one of them. We have, you know, a pretty underfunded pension system. And it, we're not the worst. Um, I, I was told recently that Tucson runs a deficit of like $1.3 billion, which is quite a lot for you know, a little city with 500,000 people. Um, but yeah, going through the top 10 employers, six of them are government. So you've got the U of A, um, you've got Davis Mothin, you've got the state of Arizona, you've got TUSD, and you have Pima uh, County, and then Customs and Border Patrol. So all of those are government programs or institutions that make up uh, six of the ten largest employers in Tucson. So a large portion of our economy is built on uh, government and government spending, and and that's going to drive the direction of uh, how our policymakers uh, go forward from here. And they're going to increase taxes, you know, and there's a lot of people that are hurting right now. And, and there's this myth about taxes that really drives me nuts is that, you know, you can go and you can tax businesses and you can tax the rich, um, and that somehow will fix things and redistribute wealth. First and foremost, taxes do not do anything but just destroy economic activity. Giving, uh, you know, government uh, assistance to people does not generate wealth for them. And it might be good in the short term. You know, if you've got somebody out in the streets to get them into a house and get, get them some, you know, mental health services and whatever, that might be good in the short term. But in the long term, it's really not that beneficial for them. You know, and then also, you know, you have to look at a lot of these government policies are what's creating the problems that we have, you know, where people are making the decisions that they are with this um, high time preference behavior, not thinking about the future, thinking short term. Uh, you're much more likely to use substances and stuff like that. Um, it's not the sole cause, but it's an influence. And then on top of that, you know, just the lack of economic opportunity that's out there, the lack of opportunity in general is, you know, harmful for people. It puts them in bad situations. And so when you go out there and you tax businesses more, that's a tax on normal people because that increases, just like inflation, that increases the cost of goods and services. It also decreases the amount of jobs and it decreases wages because at the end of the day, you know, businesses are going to cut wages if their expenses go up. Yeah, anybody that's worked at a business that has had some financial issues that, you know, they've seen that. And so that's, that's incredibly problematic, but that's, what's coming forward in our direction is we're going to see increased taxation and we're going to see increased spending, and we're going to see increased stratification of wealth and devaluing of people's currencies. And there's not a whole lot of way out. Like we don't have, where you don't have a radical uh, libertarian or conservative county. We have a pretty liberal county that is going to cheer these things on that are incredibly 
destructive uh, for the local economy. And so that's something to be concerned. And I think, you know, ultimately what that's going to lead to is a collapse of the city at some point. We're going to see a collapse of Tucson uh, because we don't have any major industry <laughs> outside of government and making missiles. Um, we do have some, you know, and it was growing. We'll see if that continues to. Uh, but, you know, the, the government's insolvent, and we just have to, you know, treat it that way and, and know that, you know, because we have so many government-employed people, they're going to vote uh, for policies. And But, yeah, I've got a, a clip from Jimmy's song that I thought was really, really good um, talking about, you know, how with our corrupt money, you're just essentially voting for who's going to steal from you. And I thought that was absolutely fantastic. So I'm going to play that real quick. Yeah. Uh, so currently, um, you know, we're kind of slaves of the government uh, because they can print money whenever they want. And whenever, uh, whenever they print money, uh, essentially what they're doing is diluting everyone else's savings. And that savings is something that you work for. That's, uh, you know, you put your, uh, energy and time and effort into getting that money, getting that savings, and it gets diluted every time they print. So essentially, they're able to steal your labor, and they're able to steal your labor. Well, what, what what's that called? That's that's really just kind of a, a form of slavery, uh, you know, slightly more mild than uh, I guess what we traditionally think of it. But that's that's essentially what it is, and. Uh, and it's most obvious whenever the governments are spending like crazy, and that tends to happen during war. So uh, World War I, World War II, those are times of significant inflation, and that's largely because governments uh, want to run the war, and it used to be before uh, that uh, they would have to go and borrow that money, right? Like uh, in order to pay soldiers for weapons and things like that, they would have to go borrow the money. If they didn't have any in their vaults, they would have to go borrow the money. And of course, every war costs way more than anyone thinks. So, you know, a government would do that. Um, and, uh, but, and they would find that the interest rates would be exorbitant or that no one would lend to them, in which case uh, they would lose, right? <laughs> and that, that's how it used to be. Uh, the thing that changed with fiat money, uh, and uh, especially uh, starting in the 20th century, is that everybody uh, was able to just keep printing money. And what printing money does in that case is it subjugates the entire nation, everyone that uses that currency to the government. And that's exactly what happened in World War I and World War II, is that all, pretty much every country that was involved was able to go into what they call total war. And total war is different than limited war in the sense that Limited war is uh, only some soldiers, you know, the military, they're, they're the ones fighting. Total war is everybody's fighting. Everybody in, uh, and all of the resources of an entire economy are devoted towards war. Um, and that's, uh, that can only happen if you enslave the population to do it, which is essentially uh, what, uh, what these governments did. So I would say that, uh, you know, right now our relationship with the government um, is, that of slavery because they have control of the money. They are able to print money and they are able to steal your wealth and labor. Um, and as a result, uh, you know, it, we, we have this weird relationship where we vote in our leader, vote, vote in people that are allowed to steal from us. It's, it's just kind of a really 
weird dynamic, but it's, okay, do you want these guys stealing from you or do you want these other guys stealing from you? That, that's essentially what we're voting on. Uh, what Bitcoin does is it takes that power of money printing away from the state. And that means that they can't just go steal your labor. They can still steal through uh, taxes somewhat, but taxes tend to be very, very difficult to raise. Um, ask any politician, it, it doesn't matter how blue a state that you're in, um, tax, tax uh, you know, raises and taxes are unpopular everywhere. It's, it's just nobody likes it, which is why inflation has been used uh, in so many places as a, as a substitute. Uh, but because of that, um, when, you, when you have Bitcoin, they have to explicitly tax you whenever they need revenue and they can't deficit spend anymore. They can't, there's no lender of last resort lending them money uh, whenever they uh, they overshoot their budget. So governments shrink. Um, and as they shrink, uh, you know, it, they, they can't just sort of like commandeer uh, people's savings and their effort and their wealth and, and stuff like that. So um, in a sense, the government, uh, like our votes actually start to matter again. It's, uh, it's not about who gets to steal from us, it's who serves us and our interests. And that uh, that's a very good thing. And I, uh, and you know, that hopefully is the direction that we go towards as Bitcoin gains more prominence. Yeah. I had a lot of fun with Jimmy song in that podcast. And I think he lines it up pretty well. You know, we're just essentially voting for who's going to steal from us and, uh, nothing really gets fixed until we fix the money. I mean, it, it's just something that both, you know, the Republicans and the Democrats always agree on is that we need to pump it up when it comes to the money supply. Um, and, and I think this is incredibly important for people to realize because it, you can't really start to uh, make good decisions until you realize the system is rigged against you. And you either need to play it really smart and take advantage of the way it is or opt out. And I think that's where Bitcoin comes in and is incredibly exciting. And so, you know, I, I talked a bit about wealth inequality earlier. Um, from a systemic level, you know, Bitcoin and its monetary policy is a lot fairer system. Uh, it, in a hard money system, you're required to produce value uh, to get money instead of just uh, siphoning value off of other people through taxation and cheap debt and uh, inflation. Um, so that's one aspect of it. And then two, it, it promotes savings and wealth creation because I think savings, Guy Swan did a, a great episode on this called Walking Tall where he talks about, you know, savings is really the cornerstone or foundation of building wealth. And I agree with that. And, you know, saying something like that in our current system, you know, seems kind of ludicrous. Like the idea of saving money is just super, super counterintuitive. And that's a reason why a very large portion of our country doesn't have savings, uh, let alone, you know, emergency savings. Uh, like if their tire went out, they'd have to put it on a credit card. And that's pretty scary. You know, you've got a lot of people living uh, paycheck to paycheck because that's just, you know, what the system is created with inflation. Um, and so I think that aspect of it, you know, for normal people in the middle class and lower middle class, um, or even, you know, not making a whole lot of money, uh, Bitcoin it, as a savings mechanism is huge, you know, because it, if you have $1,000 in savings, you know, which for some people uh, takes a while to earn and buy and you store it in Bitcoin and you're able to hold it for an extended period of time, 
that's probably going to increase and it's probably going to increase a lot. That $1,000 over 48 years is going to be something massive. Um, you have $1,000, uh, I mean, looking at the way our monetary policy is now, imagining eight years in the future, uh, what $1,000 is going to be worth, it, it's laughable. You know, it might be the equivalent of $100 with the way that they're printing. Um, or, you know, it's just going to decrease. It's, it's not going to retain any value. And so I think Bitcoin is useful in that regard. Um, and you're not going to want to uh, go out and buy a new TV with your emergency funds uh, because it has the potential to gain a lot of value over time. You know, there's that incentive uh, baked into it as well, which encourages that attitude. And then, you know, for people that, you know, really don't have any money, there are some awesome services out there like Fold, uh, where you can just earn Bitcoin just from spending using a debit service. And I think that is huge and, and groundbreaking uh, for what that could offer for people. And it'd be really interesting to see if these people working in social ser services uh, start suggesting tools like this for people because they have to spend money um, and they're not earning anything. They're just getting totally taken advantage of by the system. But yeah, uh, one thing that you do have to contend with going into the future is that policymakers are going to hate something like Bitcoin because if enough people realize that the system is rigged and opt out together, uh, it really, you know, this current sham loses its legitimacy. You know, they're not going to be able to run the same game uh, that they are. And I think they're realizing this, like Christine Lagarde in the European Union um, said that, uh, you know, if there's an escape hatch, that hatch will be used. And, you know, we're starting to see this. Um, so I, I think like partially uh, what's really incredibly powerful about this is that you don't have to have permission to uh, opt into this system and and begin using it as a savings mechanism. That's that's a really, really powerful tool uh, to use in the United States, um, specifically in Tucson. And there's like a bunch of different use cases for it that I think are really exciting. Um, you know, you can start inter transacting with people peer-to-peer, uh, and, and do it in a way that's a lot more anonymous or an, is anonymous. You know, if you go and you do the work, um, you can uh, send money across borders, which, you know, is an issue that I think a lot of people in Tucson experience because we have a large immigrant and refugee population and people in, uh, you know, if family members in the countries where people came from probably are experiencing uh, some sort of devaluation of currency or, or lack of opportunity, so they're going to be sending money. And it's incredibly difficult to do that with the fiat monetary system because you have to rely on these third parties that take out large fees and it's slow. And, you know, the people that they're sending money to might not have bank accounts, uh, but they might have a phone and they might be able to receive that money instantly using the Lightning Network or, you know, relatively quickly with on-chain transactions, and they can send smaller amounts of money. It doesn't have to be a lump sum uh, that would justify, you know, the Western Union fees. Um, so that's an incredibly, uh, you know, powerful, you know, use case for Bitcoin um, outside of the savings mechanism. But, yeah, uh, I think it's incredibly important to realize that 
the government and, uh, you know, these big institutions are running us into a wall and they don't really care about you. They're just laughing to the bank as they get rich. You know, we've all seen the headlines of the trillionaires getting richer and richer and richer. And yeah, I mean, I think it's incredibly important. We're not going to, you know, I, I don't think it's really that much that worth it to go and lobby politicians uh, on Bitcoin. What I think is incredibly important is to reach out to your families and friends and present these types of arguments to them and, you know, show them how to use Bitcoin. Uh, that is incredibly powerful because if, you know, you, the people you care about are protected from what's happening right now, um, you can you know, rest easy to a certain extent uh, because I think things are going to be bad, but I think things are going to get better in the future, you know, because I, I truly think that Bitcoin is going to uh, really be adopted and, and used as a kind of a dominant form of money <laughs> in the future, you know, and that kind of stands in contrast against what's coming with the central bank digital currencies, which, you know, they're, they're talking about doing things like, uh, having expiration dates on the money that forces you to go and spend. And that's just, that's just wild to me. Um, and it's just going to be a total surveillance coin, which, you know, super problematic because we're not criminals. Um, you know, but they, they want us to treat it. They want to treat us like criminals. So I, I have a Janet Yellen. Uh, she's got so many, uh, funny quotes on Bitcoin, but I, I'm going to play her quote or her clip real quick. I don't think that Bitcoin, I've said this before, is widely used as a transaction mechanism to the extent it's used. I fear it's um, often for illicit finance. Um, it's an extremely inefficient way of um, conducting transactions and the amount of energy that's consumed in processing those transactions is staggering, but it is a highly speculative asset. And, um, you know, I think people should, should beware. Um, it, it's can be extremely volatile and, um, you know, I do worry, I do worry about potential losses that investors in it could suffer. And I know one of the things that Janet Yellen is definitely not concerned about is your losses from holding on to fiat money. And because when we're talking about the losses, it's not just money sitting in the bank account. It's, it's people's uh, incomes that are growing smaller and smaller and smaller. And it's incredibly bad um, because people, you know, when you live in the dollar, you're just getting uh, poorer and poorer and poorer. And when we talk about Bitcoin's volatility, it's volatile to the upside. You know, and you can look at any chart over time, just how dramatic that increase has been. And that's because it's a better form of money in all ways. You know, it is not censored. It is not uh, surveilled at, at the same rate that fiat money is. You can use it anonymously if you want to. Um, you are uh, like you can have a lot of faith in its monetary policy that it's going to get set in stone. And that is huge. That is completely different than what we have with fiat money. And it's something to get incredibly excited about. Um, but yeah, that, that, that kind of sums up why I think Tucson needs Bitcoin. I, I think the increased cost of living is going to go up quite a bit. 
um, we do have a poverty level. This is 2019 numbers, so I'm sure it's a lot higher, but uh, the poverty level in Tucson is 22.5%. And that's uh, calculated based on how many people are, are living under, like if it's a single house, it's under like $12,500 a year. And that, that's just unbelievable imagining living uh, with that. And so I'm, I'm incredibly excited that we have something like Bitcoin. This is why I do the podcast, because I want to see uh, my community change. You know, I want to see people really step into a place of sovereignty where they're not debt slaves to their employers and are not uh, so reliant on the government uh, for everything. And I, I think that creates a lot stronger uh, community in the long run. But I think in the short term, you know, what I'm excited about is we have some good meetups going on in both Tucson and Phoenix. And I think what's going to come out of that are these circular economies of people working together, you know, using Bitcoin, uh, paying each other for services and uh, on-ramping a lot of people uh, to use Bitcoin. So that's kind of the uh, end of this and all I've got. Again, Max Kaiser's coming out. I'm pretty stoked about it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to get see him up on stage with the short shorts screaming uh, making fun of central bankers and, and just this corrupt system. Um, but yeah, thanks for watching. Have a good one.